We are back inside the Labyrinth Podcast, Season 6, Episode 2. We haven't recorded since May, but boy, does it feel good to be back. In this episode, myself and Jason got to interview Christina Guerra, the founder of Relationships and Recovery and the Vice President of Rep for Responders. In this episode, we spoke a lot about nutrition, lifting, recovery, and addiction. This episode takes us through Christina's journey from her early high school days, her experience on the sports field, to weightlifting and how fitness has carried her through some of the most vulnerable and difficult times in life, ultimately bringing her to where she is now. Christina talks about how she's grateful for some of her darker moments, for those are the ones that made her who she is today. Christina, we want to thank you for coming on this episode and sharing your strengths, experience, and hope. And everybody, we are back. Hope you guys sit back, enjoy the show, and we will have another one for you next week. And if you guys have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out reach out to us. And if you would do us a favor, share inside the Labyrinth podcast, share the Rush for Responders mission, share what you guys think is most important to help us out. Have a great night, everybody. This is it. We're back. We're live. Here we are inside the Labyrinth podcast. We were on hold, but we were still in the Labyrinth and we're still here. So we are on season six, episode two. Last episode we did was back in May. Uh, Jason and I actually went to the honorable and the legendary Ralph Friedman's house, which was great. We had Ralph and Pete Ron on there. Uh, definitely a memory to have. So if you guys miss that out, you can, uh, Go find that episode. Uh, again, we are at inside the at inside the labyrinth podcast on Instagram. My name is Frank. Rest for responders. I'm very excited for today. Today's going to be a fun one. Today is uh, it. It's going to be. I think it's going to be a little intense, but we'll see. But I'm, we're really happy to be back. And I know I sent a, a message to Jason like two, three weeks ago, and I was looking at mm-hmm. our uh, our podcast list and. We were still getting downloads. Uh, people were still listening. I was like, you know what? It would be selfish for, for us not to produce more content because uh, people really enjoy listening to, you know, two police officers, two two, two young men, uh, and trying to get everybody to uh, share their life experience, to live, learn, and pass on to the next person. So without further ado, let me pass it over to my man, the one and only, the real Jumpman Jack. Yeah, it's me, the John Man Jay. Uh, you know, real name Jason LaKyle. Um, just happy to be back. I know that uh, you know, we were away for a little bit, but Frank's been, you know, doing what he does best, and that's completing the mission statement, getting out there and um helping everybody, you know, uh, you know, reach the goals that they need to, especially in this time for our first responders and the families of first responders. Um Frank and our guests have been diligently working extremely hard to uh, spread that mission statement. So um, I just want to extend my gratitude and appreciation to Frank and our guests. But I'll have Frank, Frank bring in our guests because it's only right, you know. So without further ado, I'll have Frank introduce our guests. I appreciate the time, Lawrence Jay. I really do. Um, before I introduce the guests, actually, just made me think of something. So Rep for Responders is our uh, nonprofit, and our mission is to uh, increase the emotional and physical survivability skills of first responders so they can make responsible decisions while they're working and at home, uh, live a longer life that first responders are meant to live, and of course, um, prevent suicide. But with that, we have a virtual competition going on right now in honor of the 175 police officers that lost their lives to suicide in 2020. Uh, you 
can figure more, you can find more information about that uh, on our Instagram reps underscore four underscore responders. The deadlift competition, 22 reps as fast as you can, uh, body weight and all that details is uh, on our Instagram. You can reach out to us. And also we have a, a wad, uh, a body weight wad with burpees, uh, squats, and uh, push-ups. So already had a bunch of people uh, donate and join so if you guys want to join and have fun, please definitely do uh, reach out and for a good cause. So without further ado, I will definitely stop talking and I will introduce the first lady, the vice president of our first responder, uh, beautiful, beautiful fiance, Miss uh, Christina Nicole Guerra. Christina, thanks for joining us today. Hi guys, thank you so much for having me. I am a little bit biased, but I'm huge fans of both of you. I love you guys. and. I'm really excited to be here today. I was waiting for my invite. I'm glad that I finally made it on to an episode. <laughs> so I'm so thrilled to be here and to kind of take a dive into, you know, the life of being the spouse of a first responder and kind of, you know, the journey that I've been on and that we've been on. And I'm just, I'm grateful for you guys and I appreciate the invite to be here. So thank you. Thank you for, for being on. We appreciate you for that. Yeah, thank you so much. Really do. And let's do, let's go. Let's jump into Labyrinth. Let's go. Let's do a throwback to Christina. That was it 2005, 2009, something like that. Just really quick, hit on, and I know you're a big athlete in, in high school. Talk a little bit about how Christina was in high school, the sports you played, and uh, I kind of guess, you, did you enjoy high school? Did you enjoy the sports or kind of why you were a, a three three sport athlete and all that good stuff. So the floor is yours. Yeah, wow, 2005. That feels like so long ago. My goodness. Um, that is long yeah. ago. It, it was super long ago. I was, you know, high school for me was pretty average. I I wouldn't say it was anything to write home to mom about. Uh, you know, I I did my schoolwork. I had a very strict father who was, you know, get your work done, get good grades play sports, stay out of trouble. And that's exactly what I did. You know, that was my goal of high school was, you know, I loved sports. I was a three sport athlete. I played soccer, softball, and basketball. And I did soccer and softball for all four years. Basketball, I played up until I was, um, I played up until my sophomore year. And Unfortunately, I wasn't really getting a lot of playing time. I, I was on varsity as a sophomore, which was a huge accomplishment, but I wasn't getting the playing time that I really wanted. And I thought, you know, I think my time and energy would be best spent to focus on soccer. So I went and I played indoor soccer instead, and I kind of refined my skills for the soccer field. So soccer was my absolute favorite sport, but my main sport was softball. And, you know, I, I think for me playing sports in high school it was the group it was the team and the companionship like mm -hmm. I loved that I craved that I loved my coaches I loved the girls that I played with you know we were like sisters we went on spring training together we had you know the pasta parties before the the games and you know those are my friends I had friends outside of sports I had a very close group of you know three or four like best girlfriends and we were inseparable, but my, my teammates were like my soul sisters and, you know, being on the field or being on the basketball court, 
I, that's where I felt the most alive. I was like, I am meant to play sports. I'm an athlete. I, you know, I tended to pick up sports very quickly. You know, not only did I play sports in high school, but I also, you know, I enjoyed skiing. Um, so I'm not really big into snow activities, but skiing was something that I really enjoyed. <laughs> my parents got me into that. But, you know, from a very young age, my father instilled in me, you know, the importance of a good work ethic. And, you know, he always said, you need to give 110% in everything you do. And till this day, I'll never forget, you know, he would always say, you know, you got to give it the full court press. And he was my basketball coach from the time that I think I started playing basketball in second grade um, with our community basketball league. And he was my coach. So, you know, I had, I had my father who was coaching me, but then he was also um, supporting me on the sidelines and he was definitely my, my driver and the, the reason why I got into sports to begin with. And I just kept that mentality with me throughout, you know, my middle school sports career, my high school sports career, and then into, you know, I didn't play sports in college but, you know, once I graduated from college and I, I kind of got into different types of sports, a sport that I never, ever thought I would ever, you know, be a part of. Um, but, you know, it's what kept me grounded in high school. It was definitely an outlet for me. I didn't know it at the time because I didn't know anything about outlets. I mean, I, I wasn't necessarily a stressed student. You know, I went to school. I got, I got pretty good grades. I was part of VASA. I didn't drink. Um, you know, I would actually go to the high school or the middle schools and the elementary schools and like teach kids about, you know, staying away from drugs and alcohol and how that all is bad for you. And, and, you know, I was the goody two shoes, basically, you know, I, I have, you know, some of my, my past friends, um, from high school, they would just be like, yeah, Christina, if I could describe her probably in three words, it would be goody two shoes. I think that's three words. Um, <laughs> Like I said, I, I, my purpose was get the grades, play the sports, go to college. And that's literally what I did. So, so let me ask, um, what position did you play on the soccer field? Was you playing softball or was you playing basketball? Got yeah. Noticed. So <clears throat> soccer, I played left wing. Um, okay. I had typically been a forward, but when I started my high school soccer career, they utilized me as a left wing. I was fast. I had good um, foot skill. I had decent foot skills. I wouldn't say I was like amazing, but I was, I was fast and I could shoot left with my left foot. So it was strange because I'm a righty and it always boggled my mind is like, how am I a righty in everything that I do? But when it comes to soccer, my right foot doesn't know what it's doing and my left foot is scoring all the goals. So okay. it put me left wing. Um, when I played softball, I played mostly shortstop, but then I would interchange with the second baseman. So okay. that's that's where I pretty much lived at shortstop for most of my softball career. And then when I played basketball, I played point guard. And I was a shooter that was like, one of my favorite things to do, you know, I was aggressive on the court. I wasn't afraid of anybody. I learned that from the spal days. I wasn't, afraid, you know, girls would, you know, whatever they tried to do, I was not afraid of them. And I was like, come on, bring it. Let's go. I'm about to score his layup on you. 
<laughs> so, yeah, it was, um, you know, and being a three sport athlete, it was definitely not easy and almost in a way of like, I focus a little bit too much on sports. Like I probably could have like pulled it back a little bit and focused a little bit more on my academics, but you know, the playing field is where I love to be. It just made me feel the most myself and the most at home. Why did, why did you feel you had such a connection to soccer? You said, because um, you mentioned earlier that soccer was like your favorite sport. Why did you feel that connection to soccer? You know, I, th I think more than just the sport itself, it was the group of girls that I was playing with. We were like, it was family during soccer season. Like I would cry when the season ended because it was like, we weren't going to be spending as much time together. And the chemistry that we all had on the field, it mm -hmm. was undeniable. Like we, I wouldn't say we were like the, the best team. We definitely didn't win every single game, but you know, we had just had a connection and that's what made it fun, you know? And we had an amazing coach and a coach who, he, he, something he said to me was like, if you're still impressed by what you did yesterday, you've not done anything great today. And that's always stuck with me for all these years. And it, it's kind of how I like to live my life now is like, okay, yeah, I'll go pat myself on the back for something that I did, but you know, I have to keep it moving and keep striving for the next, the next thing, which is a blessing and a curse <laughs> at the same time. But yeah, I, I definitely would say it was, it was just the girls that I played with. And, you know, your team makes or breaks everything. Yeah, so it's more so for the camaraderie. I, I, I find that most, a lot of athletes, if, if they do, because sometimes a lot of kids, they'll play sports uh, because it's something that they're, quote, unquote, supposed to do, right? Your parents put you in sports, put you in these activities. But the, the one thing that I noticed, like a common bond with most athletes is that uh, if they do love a particular sport, especially multi-sport multi athletes, it's a particular group. Like, mm -hmm. that's the one thing that they'll hold on to because, like, the sports field is used as a a way to learn life lessons, right? You know, and you just said that that saying that your coach said, and that still resonates with you today, which is something that's extremely powerful. And I think um, a lot of kids, I don't know if they take that away from sports. You know, they... There's, there's always that one significant coach. There's always that one saying, you know, that group of girls that you play with, a group of athletes that you play with that still to this day, like is still in your heart, right? And you still hold on to those principles that you learned on, on the soccer field. And I find that kind of interesting. I'm kind of like the same way. Um, I had a football coach, I swear, changed my life. And, um, you know, we weren't the best team, but it was a good group of guys. And, um, you know, I learned a a lot by being on the field and sweating with these guys and and you know even when you lose right you know especially when you're a kid it's devastating but there was a lesson to be learned in it like I feel like if I wasn't on that team I don't think I'd be the person that I am today because of the things that I experienced on the field with those guys so I found that very interesting that you mentioned that so yeah. Yeah. sorry go ahead. no go ahead no go ahead if you, if no I was just like just piggybacking off of <laughs> off of that there's that that probably is like even like you know I guess hindsight is 2020 when you look back back on all the lessons that you did learn like you learn communication you learn good sportsmanship you know it's it's like for, for us it was a sisterhood I learned about friendship and companionship also I learned a lot of important lessons that I've been able to take with me today 
And my coach, I mean, shout out to him, Mr. Gray. Like he was, he was the bomb. He, he made soccer fun for me. And like you said, like your team, you know, the team makes or breaks it, but also your coach. Cause if you have a coach that, you know, isn't a good leader or someone who makes it all about winning for him, it wasn't all about winning. And he instilled that in us. It was about giving your best damn effort every time you stepped onto the field. And if we lost, that was what was meant for the day. But if we learn something from, and if we took something from that game, that was the most important thing. And, you know, I've never learned a lot from successes. Every time I've made a mistake, every time I failed, that's really when I've, you know, taken the most from that experience. And it was the same thing on the field. Yeah. I would say it's never, <clears throat> it's never a loss. It's a lesson. Mm -hmm. um, you don't, you don't learn anything. Like if you think about this, right? If you won everything, you'd never learn how to deal with like a shortcoming. You know what I'm saying? So like losing, especially in sports, I think it prepares you for life because it's not everything, not every day you wake up, the sun's shining and the birds are chirping, right? There's days where the, the weather varies and you got to deal with the elements and, you know, you dress accordingly. There's certain things you do to prepare for that day. So like the losses are just lessons, man. I, you know, it, I always say a loss is just a, uh, a statistic. It's not actually what, what happens. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like two two teams got to step on the field or court. One has to walk away victorious. So they use that L just to figure out who won or who's walking away with, with you know, with the loss there. But a real person, a real athlete is going to learn from a loss. So I always say it's not losses, it's lessons. So it's very interesting that you said that. I just want to jump into this basketball, right? So you you were a point guard, right? So you were you were court general. So do you feel like you got a little bit of some leadership skills from being on the basketball court? Yeah, you know, I think I I always played point guard, even when I was like, you know, in my younger years. And I'm saying like from when I started playing basketball, literally in second or third grade, that was always a position that I played. So that was my goal was to play point guard as I went into, you know, high school, that's really what I wanted. And, you know, I'm super introverted. So you really? say like, yeah, I, I definitely have leadership skills, but I tend to be more <clears throat> of a quiet person. So okay. it was always really challenging for me to, you know, I, I was captain of the softball team. Um, I was a co-captain of, no, was I co-captain of the soccer team? I don't even remember. I probably not. No, I wasn't. I was a captain of the, so of the <laughs> softball team. And, you know, I always wished for a captain type position in those other sports, but I wasn't like the most verbal person. You know, I think I led by example 100% because I mm -hmm. always felt like I did the thing that we needed to do to, to be successful. Um, and in, even today, I like to lead by example, but I'm not the most verbal. Um, I'm not really like a cheerleader type of person. Um, okay. but you know, I like to have <clears throat> side discussions, but I'm not going to be the one who's like, rah, rah, let's go. You know, it, it's just not my personality, but leading by example is definitely. Some of our greatest leaders lead that way. So you don't necessarily have to be the loudest person. You just got to go out there and perform. And I feel like, I mean, if you're out there setting the tone, everyone else is going to follow suit. So mm -hmm. I could I could definitely see you fit in that role like 1,000%, you know, like just setting the tone and, and leading by example. I mean, I'm not that, like, 
I'm not the most vocal person. Like I, you know, as far as being inspirational on like a court or a field, I just rather play the game and I let my game speak for everything. I don't, I don't need to kind of go back and forth with guys and, and, you know, I'm not the guy at halftime giving like the rah-rah speech. I'm just like trying to zone in mentally and lock that in and making sure that my guys are doing what they're supposed to do. Because one thing about a team is if everyone, that's, and that's why I love team sports because you have a specific role, right? And if everyone executes that specific role, then you have a successful team. Now, a successful team doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go undefeated or, or whatever, but if, if, if you know that you have a role to execute and you can get everyone on the team to, to execute that exact role, then that's, that is the definition of a team. Everyone's firing on all cylinders, and that's how you push forward. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about college. <laughs> all right, so where'd you go to school and what did you major in? Yeah, I went to the <clears throat> University of Delaware. <laughs> Oh, blue hen. I'm a blue hen. I I majored in exercise science with a focus on exercise physiology with with the intention of going to physical therapy school to get my doctorate degree so that I could be a therapist. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Okay. I entered Delaware... And it was like the first time that I was really on my own. You know, there was no supervision. It was like a big ass sleepover with all your new friends. <laughs> and it just never ended. And I really got distracted by, you know, going out and partying and being with these new friends and boys and all of what? these things. <laughs> so, so, so Mrs. Goody Two Shoes got caught up in the party life. She did. She uh, did. Okay, okay. And it was, like I said, it was my first real time away from home. And, you know, I, a lot of friends of mine stayed back and they went to like the local community college, but I always knew for myself that I wanted to get away. I think I kind of was ready to cut the cord and kind of just branch out and, you know, start my life and get this, <clears throat> this four year experience that, you know, I had seen so often like in the movies and I was like oh I'm gonna have that college life and that is what excited me and I chose Delaware um one because it was a really great school for physical therapy but two because I knew it had somewhat of a reputation of being like this really fun school with Greek life and you know just a lot going on and when I got there, like I said, I got sucked into this going out scene and I didn't do well my first semester. Like I did beyond poorly and I found myself, you know, sleeping a lot and not studying or like falling asleep when I was trying to study and, you know, drinking on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, a Friday and a Saturday, eating a ton of pizza and just like doing the opposite of being my best self. And I thought I was having a ton of fun. And I think maybe in ways I was, but then when I had to kind of, you know, pay the consequences when I got that GPA for that first semester and I had to like explain that to my parents, that was bad. That was really tough for me. And that was probably a really good wake up call that I needed to get my ass in line and to say like, I'm, I can have fun while I'm here, but I, I can't fuck around because this is, this is a 
big investment and this is the rest of my life. And this is really going to set the tone for kind of what I do moving forward. So yeah, I, I got my shit together the following semester as well enough to make the Dean's list and, and things like that. But it cost me a little bit. Thank you. It cost me a little bit of a social life. You know, I, I decided like, I'm going to stay in and I'm going to study and I want to get A's now. And that's, that's what I did. And, you know, I struggled really badly in college with anxiety and really poor body image. Um, it wasn't something that I'd ever experienced because in high school, like I, I played three sports. I mean, I would go to games. I would eat a bag of chips before a game. I would eat pizza and a bagel for lunch. I was eating Cosmo brownies for breakfast. Like nutrition was not a priority for me. I never learned about the importance of nutrition and, and why we needed to eat healthfully for performance. Just, you know, and I came from a household where, you know, we had, we had a, um, one of those fryers, right? So we fried everything. Once we got that, it was like frying the chicken colors, frying the French fries, frying the wings and, and all the good stuff. And it was, it was delicious, but I never had anyone modeling for me, like what, taking care of yourself looks like. So it, when I look back, it's amazing. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know how I wasn't like just so unhealthy, but I attribute it to the fact that I played sports and that kept me like at bay, I guess. And so then when I went to college, all hell broke loose and I wasn't playing sports. I really wasn't exercising. I was eating pizza. I was drinking. Um, I just fell into this routine that didn't do me any favors. Basically I gained the freshman 15, you know, I call, I say I was not to put labels on it, but I, I referred to myself at that time as like skinny fat. Like I looked like I was fine. Like I looked still healthy, but I didn't have any muscle mass basically. Mm -hmm. And I became incredibly self-conscious of that to the point where I decided, okay, every day I need to hop on the treadmill. I need to run three miles. And like, that was what I did every single day. So, you know, if that was five, if I was doing that five days a week, a week, like, you know, we got 15 miles there, but I wasn't lifting any weights. You know, I was just hopping on the treadmill. I was a cardio bunny and I got into, oh God, this is so embarrassing. Who I can't remember the name of the doctor who started talking about like the, uh, the vinegar and like some special juice that you put together in lemon. I can't even remember what it was. Yeah, it's, like, it it's like Dr. It's like, Oz or something. I think it was Dr. It, it might be. Yeah. It was like, it's like uh cayenne pepper, uh, lemon, apple yes. cider vinegar. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I know the apple cider vinegar. Thank you. Yes. So I was like, I'm going to do this, this concoction and this is what I'm going to drink and I'm going to lose weight. And that kind of started like, uh, this just downhill spiral of poor strategy for losing weight. Um, you know, I was cutting carbs and I was skipping meals and to the point where like, you know, I lost the weight and I was super finally feeling confident in myself. But then I was getting comments like from my family and, you know, my dad's a diabetic and he was worried about me, you know, you, you, 
you know, why are you doing this? Like you need, you need to eat. Although he says that no matter how I am, even today, I'm like the healthiest I've ever been. It's like, you need to go eat. <laughs> but mm. you know, I, I just, <clears throat> I think I was so pressured by what I was seeing. Like, I guess like on the internet and on TV and all these, you know, and, and like the sorority girls are all very skinny. And I was like, I got to look like that. Like I, I, I always had thick thighs, even in high school. Like I played, like I said, played all these sports. I had thick thighs. I wasn't like overweight by any means, but I just looked different than the other girls. And that was something that I noticed in high school, but it's not something that ever started to bother me until I got to college when I started to see all different walks of life. And I was like, oh, I want to look like that but I didn't know one that the way that I looked honestly was perfectly fine and two I didn't know how to get there in a constructive way because like I said I didn't have anybody modeling these things for me and the sad part about all of that is I was an exercise science major I was learning about nutrition I was learning about exercise but I wasn't taking those things and implementing them in my own life I was like completely blind to everything that I was learning. Like, oh, I, that's like, that, that works, but not for me. I have to just skip meals and go on the treadmill all day long. So that was like the first two years of college. And then my third year, we, uh, a couple of my girlfriends and I, we were like, why don't we play club soccer? So that's what we did. So Mm -hmm. I got back on the soccer field and it was the best thing ever it was you know I got to play sports with like some of my best friends and it gave me that feeling of this like the camaraderie again I have this like this is what I've been missing you know I think I think I just didn't know how to fill the void in my life of what like of sports that I wasn't you know participating in once I went to college mm-hmm. and I the starting <clears throat> the club soccer um or sorry, not club soccer. I shouldn't even said that. It's intramural soccer. See, I don't even know. This is so long ago. It was intramural soccer, not club soccer. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still competitive and it was co-ed. So that was the scarier part. <laughs> oh, wow. Co-ed? Yeah. Okay. We played co-ed. Um, so that was kind of like the start of me waking up, so to speak, to be like, this is where I feel the best and this is what I need to be doing. And one of my best friends from college, she was working at the fitness center and she was like, we have this fitness challenge. Why don't you come with me? And like, we could do the workout together. I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Cause again, like I said, I was on the treadmill. I think like the heaviest weights I lifted were like the 10 pound or, or something like a couple of bicep curls here and there. I was like, I don't want to get too muscular. Then put those away. I'm going to go home and eat a yogurt. <laughs> and <laughs> So she invited me to do this fitness challenge with her and it was the hardest workout I had ever done. And do you remember the workout? It was like push-ups, burpees, like just a couple of like um like fast like hit it was like hit basically and mm-hmm. I never done something like that before. I mean, yeah, I was playing soccer. I was running for like over an hour up and down a soccer field and didn't think twice about it. But then I'm doing this hit workout and I was like, damn, this really humbled me. I'm very out of shape. Um, And, you know, then she got involved in this body pump by Liz Mills. 
and okay. it was like choreographed with like this it's like a miniature barbell basically and it's all to music and she invited me she's like why don't we go do this class and I fell in love with it like that every day that I could possibly make it to this class I was going all, I, all of a sudden like I started to feel better mentally I could tell a change and a shift in my body like I was starting to get like a little definition in my stomach and I was like wow like I'm like starting to get a little fit here it was exciting for me and then from there I was like you know what I think if I'm gonna be doing all this exercise and this like weightlifting with these little dumbbells I need to start looking into what it is that I'm eating so that's kind of where I started you know having some doing some of the protein shakes okay I'd have like a protein shake in the morning and then for lunch I was eating like chicken and a little bit of pasta and broccoli and for dinner then I, you know I would keeping things routine for me was the most important thing um mm -hmm. and I was bland and I was boring and but that was what was working for me so yeah. that's what I focused on you know I I learned from the same friend who took me to my first fitness class how to cook so She's a very, she's very important to me. Uh, Lauren, shout out to you because you know all about this. But you know that was, that was kind of like my first real taste of fitness in college, and that is basically what stuck with me for you know after I graduated and the things that I got into after graduation. Okay, so so that pretty much got you into that routine. Um, and then realizing that, you know, you are at peace when you're moving your body. Mm -hmm. uh, so when did you discover CrossFit? How yeah. did, like, when did that come into the picture? So CrossFit, let me see. So I graduated from college in 2013. And okay. when I took a class in college, it was called the Pursuit of Happiness. I took a lot of stress management classes in college because like I said, I had really bad anxiety and those classes really taught me about coping. And so one of the assignments was like, make a bucket list. And on my bucket list, I put that I wanted to run a half marathon. And I actually never ran that half marathon in college. But when I graduated, I was looking for something to keep me going. Mm -hmm. And I was in grad school at the time. So, you know, I was like doing commute back and forth. Like school was really hard. It was like everything. It was like college, but without the fun parts of college, it was straight up work. <laughs> and I was working part time and taking, you know, a full schedule of classes. And I just felt like, you know what, I need something that's going to be productive for me and keep me healthy and mentally on top of my game. And I was like, you know what, what better than to actually sign up for a half marathon? So this is the time. So I signed up for the half marathon and I was like, well, now I'm locked into this. So the, the accountability for me was just going ahead and doing it. Cause if I had said, oh, I'm going to train for this. And then, then I'll sign up once I feel ready, I never would have done it. So it really held me accountable to have that date locked in. And I started running and I was never really much of a long distance runner. I mean, yeah, I did short spurts on the soccer field and softball and things like that. But for me, it was a mental challenge. It was like, okay, I have to run 13 
1.1 miles. That's a mm-hmm. long ass distance. Yes, and it is. I'll never forget the first run that I took was nine miles long. I just got up out of the gate and I ran nine miles. And I was like, did I just do that? <laughs> it was three laps around Congers Lake. And I was like, oh my God, I really just ran nine miles. I've never run over three, maybe even four miles in my whole life. So that for me was like a huge accomplishment. It kind of boosted my confidence. It was like, I can do hard things. I can tell my mind, you know, shut up, keep going. When my body wants to fail, I just have to let myself know, like, eye on the prize. Like, that was another thing I actually learned from my soccer coach was eye on the prize. So, like, whenever I'm doing something that's really, really tough for me and my mind starts to tell me, you know, we can't go anymore, we have to stop, we're tired. I just tell myself, eye on the prize, whatever the prize is. I don't even know what it is sometimes, but it's like, that's what keeps me going. So I, I, I did that one run and I realized like, I'm not a runner, but I just, I'm, I'm about to turn myself into a runner. I'm going to train for this half marathon. I'm going to run 13.1 miles. And ultimately that's what I ended up doing. But how I got into CrossFit was at the clinic that I was working at at the PT clinic. I had a buddy who was a trainer at a CrossFit gym. And I guess I was talking to him about, you know, how I was trying to get back into exercising and I wanted something to keep me on track. And he was like, oh, you got to try out CrossFit. I work at a CrossFit gym. And at first I was like, oh God, CrossFit, like those people are always filming themselves lifting. (laughs) Like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Um, And, you know, he shared stories with me about the kinds of workouts they were doing. Then, you know, Instagram had just been like a new thing around that time. So I was looking up CrossFit accounts and I was seeing these women who were just so strong looking, like they just were the epitome of like whatever I was trying to be in college, but was like doing it completely wrong. I was like, wow, these women are strong. They have an amazing work ethic and they just look badass and I would not want to fuck with them. And I was like, that's how I want to be. So I showed up to this CrossFit class. I went by myself and that was also a big accomplishment for me. Cause I was someone who I was always like, come with someone, come with me, someone come with me. I need to go. I can't go alone. And I just showed up to this class. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And I remember the first day the workout had like a bunch of burpees and a bunch of box jumps and running. And it was hard. But it was one of the worst movements. Yeah, Yeah, definitely not my favorite. But I, from that class, I just, you know, I decided, you know what? I'm going to come back and I'm going to try this again. And I just kept showing up. And then all of a sudden, now I was squatting and I was doing pull ups with a band at the time and just doing things that I never thought that I would do. And for, for me, it was like this, that was definitely the, the foundation for where I am today. I don't think if I hadn't, had I not walked into that CrossFit gym, I don't think I would have, you know, been on the journey that I've been since then. And that was back in 2015. Um, that was also, you know, another reminder for me of, I was spending a lot of money to go to class there but I was back into this routine of like not really eating 
the most healthy. I kind of got back into this like really poor mindset again. I think I was just from school. You know, I had, I had been dating someone when I was in college and that was like one of the most toxic relationships I had ever been in. And we broke up when I, you know, when I moved back to New York and ultimately decided to go to grad school in New York versus going to grad school in Delaware. And I was like in a very, not like, I wouldn't say a very dark place, but I was like, I had a very low mood. I couldn't get out of bed. Like my parents were concerned about me and trying to figure mm-hmm. out like, what is this girl going through? And I couldn't figure out why am I so down in the dumps? Like, I just didn't really have a drive for, for, for anything for life. I was like, okay, I'm going to go to grad school. Okay. I'm going to run this half marathon, but I still, I, I, I struggled. And so when I, when I started the half marathon training and got into CrossFit, that was kind of when I started to perk up a little bit. Um, I actually decided, you know, what, I'm not going to be sad anymore about this. And on the days that I am sad, you know, I have a great support group. I've got my CrossFit crew. I've got my friends from home who are going to be able to be there to support me. And um, I just felt like, if I'm spending all this time and energy and money to do this CrossFit, why aren't I eating healthy still, you know? And that was one of the, you know, another reminder to me of food is fuel. Food is not the enemy. Food is going to help you perform better. And from there, I kind of started doing my own research. Like I started looking like, okay, what is a macro? Um, you know, what is intermittent fasting? What are, what are, you know, counting calories and like my fitness pal and all these things. And I got really big into like, if it fits your macros type of thing. So I was a huge macro counter. Um, I started counting macros in 2015 and with between the CrossFit and the running that I was doing, I completely transformed myself. I went from this girl who was like, insecure and skinny fat and you know thought that pizza you know the tomato sauce on a pizza was a vegetable um to someone who you know was looking at the nutrition labels who was like wow i need to eat carbs so that i can squat heavy later so i could deadlift heavy later and it kind of just like was a metamorphosis of this sad person who didn't know what she was doing and just felt completely like kind of lost and looking for her way to someone who just became so much more confident because of the gym, because of moving my body. Like you said before, like I was most at peace when I was moving my body. And like, that's a fact. Like if I don't have fitness in my life, I don't know what I would do. Cause fitness has gotten me through some of the most painful moments in, in my life. And so it's like, I need it. It keeps me grounded. So at that point, you started like tracking your macros. And um, so, so were you like, because I know we're like, if it fits your macros, like basically you're, you're on your MyFitnessPal. And I, I remember when I was doing that, I would find myself making some of the weirdest concoctions to fit my macros. Yes. <laughs> and so so uh, <laughs> just to lighten this up a bit, what was like one of the weirdest things you ate to fit your macros? What is one of the weirdest things I ate? I, I can't remember particularly what it was, but I do, 
I remember seeing this meme about, um, it was like from Lion King, it was like Timon and Pumbaa and it was him mm. eating the worms. And it was like me trying to find things that fit my macros. And I was like, that is literally me. Um, you know, I would eat, I was like eating egg whites. And then I was like, okay, let me, you know, have a bite of this, like, what was it, like a, a rice, a rice cake or something. And at the time, I'm sure that's very normal for people to eat together now. But for me, that was weird. And then, then I was putting peanut butter on my eggs and I was like, yeah. what am I doing? Like things that I would never typically do, but was like, I must hit these macros and I will do whatever it takes to hit these macros. And then I was like, you know, I had my protein shake and then I was drinking some kind of drink at night. Cause I was like, Oh, I have 25 more grams of protein that I have that I have to hit, but I can't eat carbs because I finish all my carbs earlier in the day. So it was definitely a challenge. It worked and it worked for me for a really long time, but it was very exhausting. You know, I felt like I was falling back into this routine of checking every little thing that I was eating and it started to become versus like being a tool for, for health, it started to become like a negative thing for me where then I was like, ah, I can't go out to dinner because I can't count what I'm eating. So I wouldn't go or I would eat before I went, you know, or, or I would go and I would order like the most boring meal ever. And I'm like, why am I even like here? Why am I paying for this? I could have made this at home. So it started to become something that was counterproductive for me. And so I moved on to, I knew what my body responded to. I knew what my body liked. I knew what my body didn't like. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to like take a chill pill from after four, it was about three and a half to four years of counting macros diligently. And I decided I'm going to just do more of like this. I don't even like to call it intuitive eating. I know a lot of people on social media are calling it this intuitive eating, but it was more just knowing what works for me and what doesn't knowing portion sizes and that kind of took some of the anxiety away from me for me and it made it fun again I, it became a chore more than anything else as good of a tool as it was it just became just you know more harmful for me I think than than it was being productive after a while because it just became so I became very rigid about it yeah, I, I know a lot of Oreos. Hmm? What? I can't forget about the peanut butter Oreos when you're saying adding things on. Well, yeah. Probably all these Oreos. Yeah, well, I mean, and that was like one of the things that I really loved about counting macros was because I could eat really healthy, but I also could leave room for the things that I loved. I love Oreos. I love peanut butter. I love ice cream. So those were things. I mean, I remember like one of the first, um, I started an Instagram account uh, back in 2015 to kind of document my journey of my, my health from like my, my half marathon training to my CrossFit to everything that I was eating, you know, post posting my workouts. Um, and one of the first pictures I remember posting was me like holding this Ben and Jerry's container, like a little mini one. And I was like, <laughs> hashtag if it fits your macros, but like, go girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was able to still enjoy myself and eat what, you know, made me happy while also staying on track. So I think, you know, in that way, it was amazing for me. And that's why it worked for so long because 
it was flexible. Like this, like, yeah, the flexible dieting type of thing. I could eat what made me happy while still, you know, reaching my goals. What works for Christina, because what works for Frank may not work for Jason, what works for Jason may not work for Frank. But that's that's like the journey you just described in a nutshell was the you kind of just had to go in there and figure out really what works for Christina and not looking at those crossfit girls or the other girls are saying because what they're what they're doing is probably not and more most importantly is what Christina wants in her lifestyle or can be able to do it in your your lifestyle. And that's a lot really for the for the individual. Um, and I know CrossFit is big in your life. I definitely want to hit on the work you do right now today in you know 2021, but you got to talk a little, we can't forget about the powerlifters out there, Jay. <laughs> talk a little bit about your powerlifting and just like your little relationship with powerlifting really quick. And um, I know, I, I do know for a fact, every freaking competition you did, you, you won, you came in first and you qualified for nationals. I think it was, I don't know if it was USAPA or USAPL, but you yeah, know, yeah. just jumping in yeah. on that, talking about that and kind of why you did it, what you got out of it. And then I know you you, you had to step away from it for like three, four years. And, you know, the way you speak, you probably will never go back, but just a relationship with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. So I was doing CrossFit for about six months. Um, and when I started CrossFit, I actually had first met Frank. I met Frank through mutual friends and I knew he was big into the gym and, and that was cool. You know, he came to watch me at my first CrossFit competition at the gym that I was at. And um, he was like, you know, I'm, I'm really big into powerlifting. Like, do you want to try that? And I didn't know anything about powerlifting, but for me, I was like, Ooh, it's like really heavy, like scary weight. And like, everyone's like grunting and things like that. And, <laughs> but I was open-minded. I feel like I, CrossFit made me a lot more open-minded and willing to try new things. So I was like, okay, yeah, why don't we give this a try? And something about powerlifting just drew me in. And I think it was like the you versus you mentality that I started to gain. And I always, you know, when I first started like this lifting, I would always tell myself like, the minute you start competing with somebody else, you've already lost. And so I kind of kept that with me while I was powerlifting. And I was like, this is, this is a solo sport. Like this is, I have to show up every single day and I have to train and there's no shortcuts. And so, you know, I started, I started training with Frank in 2015 and I'll never forget. I couldn't even lift 195 off of the floor for a deadlift. I was in New York sports club and I couldn't get it to budge. And I was like, I am not going to not be able to deadlift at least 200 pounds. Right. So from there, it kind of started a fire under my ass and slowly, I mean, you have like the newbie gains. So like I, I started making progress really quickly. So once I committed to, to the powerlifting, I was making, you know, PRs left and right. I was, you know, I, I really became entrenched in the powerlifting lifestyle. I got my, my gallon jug that I'm going to walk around with. I got the Converse. Uh, I'm going to film myself now, you know, all the hate that I had on the crossfitters for filming themselves. <laughs> like I was becoming like all these things that I always had, like that had kept me away from these types of sports. Um, and I ultimately fell in love with competing more than anything. I remember we had our first competition 
and that was out in Long Island. And my goal was just to hit a 300 pound deadlift. And I remember it was like a holiday uh, competition. And I wore these like really high um, candy cane looking socks or like red and white stripes on them. And I had my Converse on and my singlet. And, you know, I remember getting there the night before we weighed in and it was like all about, you know, making weight. We got to cut, we got to go in the sauna, we got to eat healthy, we got to drink the water. And, you know, I showed up to this competition and I was like, I'm going to hit this 300 pound deadlift. If I do anything today, this is going to be what I do. And, you know, I did pretty well on squats. I think I hit like 235 on my squat, which impressed me because I mean, when I first started, I was doing worse than quarter squatting. Like it's embarrassing. Um, I can't even believe I posted that one time on social media. Like I, <laughs> I was quarter squatting. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, but I, I learned a lot along the way. So, you know, we get to this competition and I hit the squat. And so now my confidence is up and I'm good. Then we get to the bench and I totally shit the bed on the bench. And I was so disappointed, but I was like, you know what? I didn't even come here for a bench. Like I know my bench isn't my strongest lift. And I'll get them next time, but I got to focus on this deadlift. So, you know, I get there and I can't remember exactly what my first two lifts were, but my first lift obviously was something that I knew I was going to hit. My second one was like a semi reach, but I was confident that I would get it. And then my, my final third lift was 300 on the dot. And I just will never forget like the feeling of when I locked that lift out. I was like, fuck yeah. Like I was so excited. It was like the best feeling. It was everything that I had worked for in those, I think it was like five, maybe five or six months that we had been training before I signed up for the first one. So everything really came together for me on that day. And then from there, it was like, let's go. We left the gym we were at. We went to varsity house. We got like a legitimate coach and I was, you know, tunnel vision, powerlifting, my life was powerlifting. Like I, you know, someone say, describe yourself. I like, I'm a powerlifter. So my identity really became, you know, a lifter. And that's what I love to do. I spent three hours a day at the gym. Um, I was eating really healthy um, or like crazy. It was, it was very crazy, but you know, Frank and I competed together and we trained together and it was a way for us to bond. And it was good to have him because he was a seasoned power lifter and he supported me. And at one point he had been doing my programming and that's actually the programming that got me to my 300 pound deadlift. And, you know, once we moved on to the new gym, it was like, it was game over. I felt like I was like, this is legit. And I thought maybe I could make something out of powerlifting, like you know, a little bit bigger than a hobby, like something that I could like win, you know, win awards and things like that. And at my first competition, I didn't win anything. Um, but I got that 300 pound deadlift and I saw the girls who were around me who were super strong. They were lifting like 375 and 420. And I was like, Whoa, like maybe one day I could get to that point. Um, and anyway, so, you know, we, we just kept training, we kept eating healthy and I went on to compete in three, I think it was just three or four more competitions. Um, and at, like Frank said, at those competitions, I, you know, I won a state cha- championship 
came in first place, you know, uh, strongest pound for pound, things like that. And on my last competition, I had an injury and it was like, I don't really know what the injury was still to this day, but I had really bad pain in my groin and I really couldn't squat. And I was so excited for the competition. I was like, that was the competition that I was like, I wanted to pull over 320 because I had only hit 320 in the gym. And I was like, I really want to beat that. And I you pulled conventional I pulled, or sumo? I pulled conventional. Okay. Sheesh. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so, you know, as I'm training for this and I'm injured, I told my coach, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this competition. Like I'm in pain. Like this is not me complaining. And I was never a complainer. I was like, I physically feel like I can't do this volume of, of training anymore. And, you know, he was great about it. He dialed back the training for me. He, he programmed the things that he knew wouldn't bother me. And we just took it day by day. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as close as I was to pulling out of the competition, I just was like, let me just like give it all that I got. And, you know, two, I think it was like three days before the competition, I had my last deadlift day. And on that day was apparently the first time that I deadlifted correctly because my hamstrings were dead. I like, I was like, I can't go to this competition. I can't move. And I went to see our chiropractor Castro and he, he fixed me up as good as he could. So when I went to the competition, um, I, I walked in there and I was like, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm just going to give it 110% full core press. I'm going to leave it all on the platform. Course, and like that's, that's what I did. And I went nine for nine that day. I hit my best squat at 270, my best bench at 148 and my best deadlift at 330. And it was you know, nine white lights across the board. Thank you. I was so happy. It was definitely one of the best days of my powerlifting career. Um, but after that, I, you know, I went home after, you know, the excitement faded off. I got like this championship belt. It was like so fun. Um, you know, and, and what I love about powerlifting competitions is you're not competing against anybody except for you and everybody's cheering you on. So, I never walked into a competition like, oh, I hope that girl fails her deadlift so I can win. Like, it was never like that. Like, I always wanted everyone to do well. And it came across that everybody else always wanted each other to do the same. So, you know, once I left this competition, my body was a wreck. I'll never forget. Like, after I pulled that weight, I was so excited. I have the video. I was cheering. It was like the best moment. I got this horrible cramp, like all the way up my arm. And I like, it was like locked. And they were like, you need to drink pickle juice. I'm like, pickle juice? You think I brought pickle juice with me to this competition? Um, <laughs> so I, I, it was, it was, that was funny. But yeah, once that was over, my body took a big hit. And I returned like a week later to the gym. And I was like, okay, I'll train for my next one. Like, let's just see how this goes. And um, because I got invited to nationals because of the numbers that I hit. Yep. And I was like, okay nationals here we go gonna go to orlando like this is something i've been wanting to do forever i can't believe that i accomplished this and when i got back in the gym it just wasn't the same it was like my body was like trying to tell me something i was like really low mood it became a chore and i fought that for like probably a month and i kept showing up and i kept showing up 
And then ultimately I just made this decision. It was really hard. And I just told my coach, I was like, listen, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. And it was like the hard, I told him, I said, this is the hardest decision that I have to make, but I want to trust my instincts right now. And I want to trust my body and I'm just going to have to take a little bit of a break. I'm not saying I'm done. I'm just saying that I'm not training for this competition. And it was hard and I cried and he tried to convince me otherwise. And I just stood my ground and that was it. It was like an end of an era for me, but that was also an end of an identity. Like I said, the powerlifting became who I was. I wasn't involved in anything else. <laughs> like powerlifting was my life, tunnel vision. So once the, uh, the powerlifting was done for me, I was like, who the hell am I? What do I do? Like fitness is my passion. So I hired a coach to do a bikini competition, <laughs> which is hysterical because I never in my no. life had desired to step on stage in heels and a bikini to do anything like that. But every time I had gone to the gym when I was training, people would be like, oh, when, when's your show? And I'm like, I don't do no. shows. I do powerlifting. So I got me thinking like, maybe I'm like pretty well set up to like, you know, do, do, you know, 16 weeks or less of, you know, prep and I could step on stage and see what I got. And so I hired this coach because one of my best friends was doing bikini at the time. And I was like, okay, if you trust this coach, I guess I'll trust her too. I got the programming. I started going over to retro fitness, but this coach was like, you got to do 40 minutes of cardio a day. She's like, your legs are just yeah. way too big. And I did it for about a month and a half. And I was in that gym every day and I was prepping my meals. I was eating, you know, on the go containers, um, boring chicken, boring rice, you know, asparagus. Um, like really, I was committed to it until I realized I was like, why am I trying to change myself like this? Like, I finally found a reason for my thick thighs and I found that in powerlifting. And that was, I think that's one of the most important things that I learned was accepting myself when I was powerlifting. Um, because like I said, in college, I had really bad body image issues. And so I finally found a purpose for my thighs. It was like, so I could just really squat heavy and deadlift heavy. And for me, that was just so empowering and the like the full circle of acceptance for me so when I had you know this programming of being on the treadmill for 40 minutes a day because your thighs are too thick I was like you know what I don't think this is the sport for me mm -hmm. and you know it, it it was it wasn't easy to like admit that I mean it wasn't hard to admit that it was easier to just like not do it because it was really fucking hard work. And I give, I give props to everybody who does bikini because in that month and a half that I was doing that, like that was a lot. And I couldn't have imagined going for four months of doing that. But ultimately I said, you know what, mentally, this is like not right for me. You know, this restricting calories and all this cardio, I came so far from all of that. Why am I going to go backwards? So I was, I was like, you know what, let me go back to my first love, my first true love. And I went back to CrossFit and I found another gym in town and I dropped in and, uh, you know, the rest from there is history. Like I just, I got back into CrossFit. I've been doing it since 2017 and 
I don't, I, I took a break from it for about four months, uh, three months because I had surgery. So I wasn't able to like do all the heavy lifting and things. Um, but I started to feel myself getting back into this like negative, like negative dance. And I went back to CrossFit after three months and I was like, I'm back and this is where I belong. So it's like home for me, you know? Yeah. You are, you are most at peace when you're moving your body. And That's um, it. I'm, I'm glad that you, you made that. You had the self-awareness to, to make that connection. You know, sometimes people go in the polar opposite direction, you know, that instead of working on the body, they, they beat it up with, you know, drugs or alcohol or something like that. So I'm happy that yeah. you identified that. Yeah. You know, I learned, I, I, I feel like I grew so much from just being a part of the lifting community. Um, just mentally, physically, everything. I've just, I've just learned so many lessons and I attribute so much of who I am today to those communities, the, you know, the support, the work ethic, you know, showing up when you don't want to show up, showing up for yourself, you know, yeah. and those are things. And, um, we may, I'm sure we're going to touch on this, but like, you know, I've been in therapy for three years too. And I learned not to ignore my body, not to ignore what my body's trying to tell me, not to ignore, you know, what my, what my intelligence is trying to tell me, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, having that self-awareness and that self-awareness really grew from, from lifting. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk, I let's talk about that other, sorry, go ahead. No, no. So I saw, I saw your wheels turning. I said, Frank, you oh, had yeah. a question. Mm. Let's talk about, we got like 20 minutes, 20 minutes left. So I want to bang out this, you know, you really, I'm really happy you just hit on that. You hit a, a little bit on the mental in the beginning of your journey and the physical. And now I want to talk about the other community you're part of is the recovery community. You know, mm -hmm. your, your little community that you started relationships and recovery on Instagram and reps for responders. I guess just hit it, hit a split from left, right, up, down, or both programs you're, you're part of and, you know, kind of why and you know why do you do the why you do the work you do and how it's helped you you know grow spiritually and uh, emotionally yeah <clears throat> um well as you mentioned I, I oh where are you oh i i help out with the reps responders i'm the vice president okay. um but you know through frank through your story of kind of sharing all of the things that you've been through both like the negative and the positive and kind of putting that out there and not feeling ashamed to tell people like where you've come from and how far you, you know, how far you've come from feeling the way that you did a couple of years ago. Um, through that, I went through also like my own battles with, with everything that happened and still, you know, like I said before, fitness is like my saving grace. It's what got me through everything that I went through, but ultimately last year, I decided with the inspiration from Frank to start my own recovery community for spouses who love someone who struggles with substance abuse. Um, I had been thinking about it for a, a while and I wanted to really kind of just share my story and in a way I was doing it because sharing my story has always been just like a good outlet for me. I mean, I was doing it when I had my fitness page 
And then when I started this other Instagram, I didn't think anybody was going to give a shit about what I was posting or what I was talking about, but it was kind of just like, it was almost like a diary for me. And I could have written it just down on paper, but I was like, maybe there's other people out there that I could connect with because I met so many friends from the fitness community. Maybe that same thing will happen with the recovery community. So I started this page where I was just talking about my experience as, you know, a partner of someone who struggled with drinking and who was now in recovery. And I kind of would just like post like some lessons that I had learned or, you know, things that I struggled with. And we talked about a lot of like shame and the stigma and, you know, guilt, um, around being, you know, having the experience of someone who was struggling with, with substance abuse. And I just remember, you know, I was getting a lot of great feedback, people messaging me, thank you so much for this page. And, you know, I feel like you're sharing exactly what I'm going through. And after getting like a lot of those types of messages, I was like, maybe this is like something that people need to be talking about that everyone is just so silenced on. And I understood that because I was very silenced on it when, you know, Frank was struggling with, with what he was going through. I didn't tell anybody. I was like, I was ashamed. I, I don't necessarily want to use the word embarrassed. I wasn't embarrassed, but I didn't know how people would perceive what was going on and what they would tell me. And there, I don't, I didn't want people to be worried about me. Um, and so I just kept it to myself and I let it fester and I let it slowly kill me basically. And I mean, Frank has shared, shared the story of, you know, how I, I left the relationship and, um, had to kind of focus on myself. And that's where like all the therapy came in and, and learning about who I am and what, what I wanted and learning about self-love and boundaries and communication. And so when I started this, you know, little Instagram community, those were all the things that I was talking about and it was resonating with people. So I decided, let me like put some feelers out there and see if anybody would want to do, you know, like a group chat, like we can like hop on a zoom and we can just talk about things. It would just be like a place for us to kind of like let it all out on the table. And mm -hmm. it was so well received. And so I was, you know, we had a group of like, I think that first night it was like 20 girls came on and we all just introduced yeah. ourselves from all over the country. I mean, I had even someone from Colombia who was on this call. It was just like the reach with social media is insane. So then I was like, this is obviously something that people want and that what they need. So I started bringing on like counselors and therapists and people who were like more educated in the field of addiction and talking about those types of topics because I wanted it to be like an education um, space as well. So we can all learn about what it is that we're dealing with. And maybe the more we know, the better we can respond and, um, the more we can fill our own cups once we, once we have this information, because I think one of the biggest issues that I faced was pouring from an empty cup, um, giving all my time and energy and love to try and fix somebody and save them, ultimately realizing that I was like, literally felt like I was dying on the inside. Like I was losing myself to everything that was going on. And it was very painful. So here I am, I've got this group and all these other women are like, oh my God, that's my experience. That's how I feel. 
And I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know that there were so many other people out here just like me going through what I've been through. And, you know, maybe we can really make like a little like community out of this. And so since December of last year, we've had meetings every Wednesday and it's just a space where we can just come and talk about, you know, what, what we're experiencing. We talk about ourselves, we talk about our partners. Um, and it's just a space to feel safe and have the opportunity to be vulnerable without being judged and feel heard, which is one of the most important things. And also really talking about like that self-love component of taking care of yourself and, you know, reconnecting to yourself because you can, you you could just end up losing everything to trying to help and save somebody. You you can't control other people do you can only control yourself. So it's just like a big, um, it's just a big theme that we talk about in our meetings. And, you know, we've got like, almost, um, you know, a little bit over 3,900 followers on the Instagram account. I've got a Facebook group and we've got 400 members in the Facebook group. So I'm trying to like, just build this space where people can feel comfortable to talk about these things that nobody wants to talk about with, especially with people who don't get it. Like I could not go to my friends and talk to them about what I was going through because I didn't think that they would necessarily get it. And I didn't really want my business to be shared with people that I was close with. Mm-hmm. So I, I do find it a lot easier to be open with people that I don't know, but who I do know understand what I'm going through. So that's, you know, I, I recently um, finished a course in health and wellness coaching because I really want to be able to take my experiences with, you know, focusing on myself and prioritizing my needs so that I stay healthy, even in relationship with someone who is struggling with addiction um, or recovery, whatever it might be, because I want to be able to guide others in the same way that I, you know, was able to for myself with my own support systems, because a lot of people come to me, they don't have anybody that they can talk to, they share things that resonate with me. And like, I'm like, wow, I see so much of myself in you. And I want to be able to let them know and empower them to know that like, you might be going through this right now and dealing with this, but you don't have to sacrifice yourself and you can make other decisions if you want to. So mm-hmm. that's pretty much what the group is about. And like I said, we've been around for a year and I'm excited to see kind of where we take it. And I'm going to be offering, you know, health and wellness, like huddles and coaching sessions and things like that. I'm still kind of building um, my business around that, but that's my ultimate goal. And then, you know, reps for responders, because, you know, Frank, Frank's inspired me to start this group and reps for responders is so close to my heart because of the personal experience. So I feel like it's like a good mold of, of the two. So awesome um, that you're providing this, uh, this community for people who are, you know, going through some of the things that you went through. Everybody needs a support system. I think that's huge, especially right now uh, with, with, with what's going on. Um, you know, addiction's at all time high. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's people who, like you said, right. You like, you know, like you you don't think your friends could understand what you were going through. And I think a lot of people feel the same way and, you know, they don't know who to turn to. So to have a space where they can come and share their, experiences and have people who can give them insight as to what they did 
and and how they got through certain you know uh, situations. I think that's huge. That is that is clutch because people need that. You know, yeah. support systems are 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 very are are very needed, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. So, just want to thank you for creating that group and and giving people a space to to share their experiences and. Also, with you know, with with reps for responders, you just said you know you have a personal connection to it because it, you know uh, you and Frank and um, just me personally being um, a part of it. It has helped me tremendously. Like you guys have really helped me, you know, better myself as a human being. So um, I just like to take this opportunity to just thank both of you for uh, you know um, being great leaders, you know, and, and setting an, an example. Um, a lot of the times, like, you know, uh, I look at, you know, the content that's on reps for responders and there's, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me that I've pointed in the direction of reps for responders and I've come back with, with great stories and, and you've helped so many people. I don't, you know, this is like the behind the scenes stuff that I don't think people even realize that it's going on. You know, the events that you throw, the sponsorships that you guys provide, like it is, it is needed and. I just wanted to thank you guys for just allowing me to be a part of the process, but also helping a lot of my friends and people that I know. So yeah, just wanted to throw that you. out there. Thank you. No, we're, we're so happy that you're a part of it and, and it is needed. And something that I like to say is like shame, shame dies when stories are told in a safe space. And I think that reps for responders and the recovery community that I have really um, is an example of that. We all need somewhere that we can turn to feel less alone Mm-hmm. And, you know, just having something so simple. I mean, like what I do is so simple. It's just like this recovery room, but it, it, it's changed people's lives. And like you said, like people reach out to me and thank me for it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, like you're welcome. Like it feels weird to be thanked for, for, for that, but you don't realize what an impact you're having on people. And it, it definitely is the motivator to continue doing the work that we do, because I mm-hmm. think like just at heart, Frank and I, and, and even you, Jason, like we're helpers. We want to help people. And it's just, it's just a great opportunity to be able to do that. And I want to say also too, like, um, Frank, you know, he, I learned so much from the experience that we had together, like as negative as it was. And like, I would never wish it upon anybody. I think it's made, I mean, and I, I'm sure Frank would agree, but I'm going to speak for myself here. I would not be who I am in this moment if it wasn't for everything that we went through. Like, I never want to experience that again, but at the same time, so much growth took place during that. Like, I am way more empathetic and have a lot more compassion for others, including myself. Mm-hmm. I can communicate better with people. Um, I understand boundaries more. And like, these are all things that are just so important um, as a human being that we don't really even learn in school. And these are lessons that I feel like they come from life experiences. They come from, you know, fitness too. Like we said, we talked about all the lessons that we learned from, you know, being on sports teams and being, you know, on the platform and being weightlifters. And all of these lessons are just, you know, as unfortunate as they were, I am grateful for them. And I always feel so surprised to say that because I feel like other people can be like, what the hell are you grateful for? Um, look at, look at the mess that was made. Right. And I'm like, I would not be 
who I am today without them. So I'm, I'm just like eternally, like ironically grateful <laughs> for that. Yeah, I agree with Christina hundred percent uh, and going back to Jason. Thank you for the kind words and thank you for all the hard work you do. It's part of the program and not even part of the program. Like you said, behind this, behind the scenes, a lot of people have, have no idea and stuff like that. And we grind every single day, literally, of, you can ask Christina, like, we're hanging out, I gotta take this phone call, I gotta text this person, I, I gotta answer this message, I have to, you know, a lot of peer support and meeting with other other gyms and first responders at Dunkin' Donuts or in the, just in the parking lot. And, you know, it's it's worth all of that, but, you know, we grind every single day to, to raise that money because it's not like we just wake up and there's a rest for responders tree with money coming out of it. Like, all right, this is gonna be for reps. And, but it's, yeah. it's well worth all of that because it might be sound selfish, but the most important thing to me today is my sobriety and my recovery. Because without that, I have, I'll have i have nothing, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, I don't want to lose that trust and building communication with Christina and, you know, you know, even you, Jason, and people, just friends and people I care about in general. It's, you know, like my dad always told me, if you tell me the truth, I can help you. If you don't tell me the truth, I can't help you. And that's something that's going to stick with me forever. No matter what happens, no matter what it is, if you're able to talk about what what happened, why you did what you did, and kind of go back to the sports field, right? You learn from it. And I like that quote, Jason. You know, the loss is really it's not really taking it out. You know, it's it's learning from it. And that's what the twelfth step of if you are an AA, twelfth step is is what's going on right now. Twelfth step, in, which means uh, helping another in need and live, learn, and pass on of of what's what you learned in life so really 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 great and powerful stuff got one more question for you christina before we wrap up and then hit her with the five rapid questions if you had advice or what not if you had the best advice you can give to a first responder significant other um just in general about the career about the possible trauma about <clears throat> what could happen um maybe you know, someone's really struggling. I guess the best advice you can give to that, you know, wife or girlfriend or even husband, you know? Hmm. That's a good question. I wish you had told me you were going to ask me this so I could prepare something. Definitely putting me on the spot for sure. Um, I think my advice would be that, we're not, I'm not going to say advice, but this is a choice, right? Loving a first responder is a choice. Choosing them every day is a choice and things are going to get hard. There's going to be missed holidays and birthdays and overtime. And, um, you know, sometimes they're going to come home and they're going to be upset about something and they might not even tell you what happened at work. And you're going to be totally, you know, out, out of the loop on things. But every day, have just know that compassion is one of the most important things that you can have for another person. And just be there to hold space and support them. If, if they want to talk, they will um, communicate very well. It's important to put everything out on the table. Don't hold anything back. I mean you know, with Frank and I, we don't hold anything back. Everything is on the table. And that's what, what keeps us, you know, going and keeps the relationship successful, but everything is a choice. 
you don't have to be here. And I think that's something that I've learned over the years is that, you know, I choose to be in, you know, in a relationship with the first responder, even though I might complain about it. I don't have to be here. I choose to be here. I choose to care for and love and support my first responder. And you have the same choice. So, you know, it's kind of like uh, shit or get off the pot. Are you happy? Are you not happy? Um, But, you know, just hold, hold space for them when they need it, communicate. And that's, that's pretty much the best advice that I can give. I think at this point, I like that answer. Amen. Amen to that. Definitely wrap up on on that one. I think uh, we could uh, bring it in the closer, play enter Sandman, you know? Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Chris, before we wrap up, we have a few questions for you that we always ask our guests. Um, so get ready to uh, put the thinking cap on. Mm. If you have one meal to eat for the rest of your life, every single day, what are you going with? One meal that I can eat every single day. Yeah, um, healthy or unhealthy, doesn't matter. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's definitely going to be something unhealthy. <laughs> um, um, wow, you know, I think I would eat my homemade pizza for the rest of my life. <laughs> wow. It's got this, of like, course. really... That, that, that's thick, on the menu today, Jason. Too. It is. It's on the menu today. It's got, like, really thick crust, and the sauce is so sweet. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, well, homemade pizza. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, main, one main lift and one accessory, if you had to do every single day, and the recovery... Is fine. Like you're not going to be super sore. The hamstrings aren't going to be tight. What are you going with? Okay. Um, my main lift would be probably clean and jerk. Really? Yep. That's the first. Jason like that one. Maybe I should specify clean and split jerk. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and a main accessory is a muscle up an accessory. I know in a way, but if I, I guess if I had to choose like a real accessory, um, hey, pull up for one of the best ways for getting strong and, and building, uh, building a big back and laps. I love muscle people, ups. Like I would just real do quick, people time. forget about, you know, getting strong. It's like, keep it simple, right? Do the basics, push ups, yeah. sit ups, pull ups, and then you can do your main lifts and things like that. You know, you don't have to go so crazy and those are one of the best muscle buildings, you know, exercises that has been around since the start of time. Yeah, the Romans just how they trained their soldiers, man. Body weight, calisthenics, push-ups, pull-ups, yeah. little dip I think action. First, I think that's a, is that a first for both of that for both of them, Jay? Like pull-ups, muscle-ups, and then clean and jerk. Yeah, it actually, is a first. No yeah. one's ever said clean and jerk ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I that's definitely like when I see it on the programming. I definitely love that class. I used to cherry pick snatching, but now I love. I thought for sure you were going to say deadlift, but no. no. Ever since I herniated the disc in my back, I actually forgot to talk about that. But that's one of the reasons why I stopped powerlifting. What's the um, best clean and jerk you had, Chris? Uh, one seventy three. That's my best. I know I'm chasing that two hundred. Yeah, two hundred. That's a that's a that's a milestone right there for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
And then what? I guess if I had to choose like a real accessory, I, I love rear delt flies. I just love okay. it. <laughs> that, so that's what I would probably choose. You're jacked and juicy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? I guess I'm like a bodybuilder at heart. I don't know. <laughs> well, one person to hang out with, dead or alive, for the day. Who are you hanging out with? It could be someone you know. It could be someone famous. It could be actor, singer, someone that writes an author, so, so, anybody. This is always a good one. This, wow. <laughs> and I know, I know, I'll give you the pass. You don't have to pick me. Not to pick you. <laughs> Um, what about if I pick myself? Cause I'm always in good company when I'm with myself. Um, <laughs> you could. Who would I, no, let me think about who I would really want to spend some time with. Um, wow. You know what? I'm like, so even bad with like remembering actors and actresses names. It's actually embarrassing. Um, Maybe um, the gingerbread man from Shrek. Really? <laughs> not the buttons, not the gumdrop buttons. The, the gingerbread man from Shrek. Yeah, that is a first. That is a first. That is we the first like, time I've ever heard that. Like, you know, that lived like hundreds of years ago. People, people say Jesus. Are you meant like a real person? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't have oh. an answer for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> is there like a, a crossfitter or a singer or an actress or something like that or someone that you look up to that motivates you? Um, I guess. Um, <laughs> fucking gingerbread man. Oh my god. Gingerbread know, man. That's the best. I I'm honestly, that's the best answer I've ever heard because we have people say like Jesus. The rock, uh, yeah. like, Jesus. like the rock, yeah, yeah. People say I want to hang out with Jesus, you know. All right, then who's your favorite crossfitter? Man. Who's your favorite crossfitter? Um, just dig deep in the vault here. I love Matt Fraser. He's... No, all right, all right. <laughs> hard, hard work pays off, right there. Of course. All right, next question. Um, I know you really. We're gonna, I'm going to add this one in here, Jay. And I know you like this. I know you're really big into reading different books. One self-help book that you recommend for our listeners or two. Ooh, good one. Okay. Um, I don't <clears throat> talk about this book. It's called Single on Purpose by John Kim. He is the angry therapist on Instagram. Okay. And he has got this whole like wellness community and he just makes the most amazing posts about, you know, investing in yourself and being your own person yeah. before trying to be with somebody else. And like, not, he talks about like, you know, not being enmeshed in each other and having your own group of friends and your own hobbies and your own life and mm -hmm. coming together and like adding value to one another. Um, I learned so much from him because that was something that I really struggled with, like becoming just very dependent on another person for my happiness. And mm -hmm. he really taught me that happiness comes from within and from watering your own grass. And so the book is called Single on Purpose and he talks all about 
those types of themes. And there's a lot of CrossFit talk in there also. So my CrossFitters might be interested in that. Um, quick, quick question. Does it, does it come on audiobook as well or no? I think it is an audiobook. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to pick it up on audiobook. Yeah. You know, again, my first responders is not just for surface abuse and some first responders that reach out with relationship, you know, difficulties that can add to, you know, depression, anxiety, and fear, and, and like, you know, not even wanting to leave your house or talk, you know, about it. And it's been a huge, huge help to a lot of people. All right, I'm gonna get that today. Yeah, it's a good one. And even if you're like not, even if you're in a relationship, I mean, like when I read it, Frank and I were together and mm. it just still just instills a lot of these important lessons. And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Uh, yeah, usually it's it's someone I know that I like respect who like recommends a book. I just I go go out and pick it up at some point. So yeah, um, definitely. I'll, I'll definitely I'll definitely do it tonight though. Yeah, you like be slow at work, so I'll, yeah. I'll start it. I'll start it tonight. Cool. Yeah. Final question. One, if you had to, if you if you came, you came to you came to our, my house over here, and me and Jason were here. We looked up a park. Like Chris, we have a time machine. Anywhere in the past. Or in the future, but we're talking past. It could be a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, two years ago. Where would you want to go in history, in time? And I know you're such a history buff. <laughs> you ask me these really difficult questions that I've literally never thought about in my life. That's why we do it. Okay. Um, if I could go anywhere back in time or in the future. Huh. Hmm. This is always a good one here. Do I want to go in the, the past? Day, it's the first day we met, so you so you never had to meet me. Oh, nah. I turned that car around so fast. <laughs> 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 I'm just kidding. Um I would love to I guess I guess future, and I don't even know if it's ever gonna be possible. I wish I could fly. I want to go to a time where we could fly. So I guess I don't know if that's like another. Back to the future, they had, they had cars that flew. And yeah. I was like, no, I'm talking about like I. I used to have dreams. Like you want to fly. I want to be able to fly. I used to have dreams where I could literally just run and like I could just like kind of like fly around and soar around. It was really fucking weird, <laughs> but like those were my favorite dreams. So okay, I'm right. like if I can go somewhere. <laughs> What'd you say? The you the said you and the man. gingerbread man. Yeah, me, and, me and the gingerbread man. <clears throat> oh. Listen, he was cute. But yeah, so I think I would go in it during a time that I could fly. I'm like, Frank jokes, I'm not a history buff. I didn't do well in that class. Um, I kind of, nope. and like, you know, yeah, I guess like I could answer like, yeah, Tia Claire Toomey and Matt Fraser, like they're all very inspirational to me, but I never was a person who was like obsessed with like, celebrities and like all these like bigger people i just never really kept up with that type of thing so a question like that is kind of like i'm like i'm not like yeah what they do is really cool but i'm not like oh my god i'm so impressed i need to like, sit down and have a conversation with, have them. A conversation okay. with them you know what i'm saying so maybe that makes me okay. like an oddball but i don't know it's just how no I just you just you it's your journey in the labyrinth that's what it's all about and mm -hmm. Uh, with that, we will wrap up and 
I mean, we could talk about all these things for so long. So it was really great. Hopefully one oh my day God, I know. we have you back down in the, in the, uh, in the future. But, uh, I really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your strengths and experience and hope today, uh, with myself and Jay and the listeners. And I know at least one person will, uh, get something out of the episode. And, uh, I just want to thank you for coming on. And again, my name is Frank. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at reps underscore four underscore responders on Instagram. We have Facebook, our email, responders at gmail.com. And kick it over to Jumpman J. Where can I find you at? Yeah. Um, the real Jumpman J on Instagram is where you can find me. And, uh, Christina, where can they find you and your, your group? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at relationships.end, the word, A-N-D, dot uh, recovery. So relationships and recovery. So you can find us there, have the Facebook page, and we have our weekly meeting. Right. And that's a wrap. We're back. We're live. We just slayed the Minotaur today, and we'll slam again uh, next week. And I'm pretty sure everyone is listening still, hopefully. Uh, Aaron. Loman, Beach Fat Loser, is our next guest again, and that's going to be a great episode because Jay, that was, our, that was our first episode ever. I remember filming yeah. it, doing it on my iPad, and here we yeah, are now. That was our first one in the world, baby. So that's it, kid. Thank you, Christina, and of course, thank you, Jay. And we will, uh, we will be. Uh, what am I going to say now? I'm going to say we'll see you next week. But yeah, me and Jay will see you next week. So everyone, have a great day. Be safe, and uh, you know where to find us. If you need anything, please reach out. Have a good day, everybody. All right. All right, guys, have a good one. Thank you.